Hi guys, it's me, Les G, wishing happy days to all during this season of festivities. As I walked uh, into my coffee shop today, I overheard the uh, following ditzy conversation between the barista and a uh, customer. The barista asks, So what are you buying your mother for Christmas? And the man answers, My mother sent me out to buy a Hanukkah candelabra along with all the candles. But I told her, Ma, we're not Jewish. (laughs) And then she says to me, So what? It costs a lot less than Christmas decorations. So, uh, yeah, in these days of inflation, we all try to economize. I mean, a pound of coffee in this shop has suddenly risen to as much as $18 a pound. I decided to buy a quarter pound and got a curt comment from the barista that we only sell by the half pound. But since you're a regular, I'll cut you a break. Gee, thanks. Can you grind it for drip? (laughs) She gave me a, a look. I sauntered over to my uh, regular table and uh, sat down with a dark cup of the Panama yellow whatever coffee special of the day. And the radio was playing and a DJ was giving a momentary intro to a tune. I usually like a station because of the uh, tone that a DJ sets can't find that these days. And so I reminisce to the uh, 1960s as my auditory flashback memories start to flow into my journal. So uh, I started to write about uh, podcasting, how it was a lot like being a DJ and then I thought about who were the DJs who um, who influenced me since I've been listening to radio. And one of the main radio voices of the early 1960s was on 77 WABC in the AM band. It was a guy named Cousin Brucey. He's recently made a short comeback much the way that oldie rock singers have. But back then, he was pretty much the king of DJs. We teenagers uh, instantly recognized his nomenclature intro of um, Cousin Brucey, Cousin Brucey, Cousin Brucey, which uh, began with a... Uh, maniacal scream that uh, faded into an echo best described as the eventual asylum for the uh, pop-tune-hungry in-crowd. I was certainly in that category. The tunes he spun were usually the top-rated number ones, at least for us, the prepubescent multitudes. 
All this was accentuated by our first TV DJ host, the ever-youthful Dick Clark. He moderated the uh, teenage TV dance-a-thons and had various guests of the time, such as... Oh, uh, Chubby Checker doing the twist, as well as Leslie Gore with her story about how she made Judy cry as she stole her boyfriend back from the other girl. Wah, wah. And lots of others. At times, when I've had enough of the repetitious top ten tunes, I would become more adventurous on the radio dial and eventually stumbled on a station which introduced me to Oscar Brown Jr.'s song entitled Laia Ladaia. It was of uh, Portuguese language origins, a lamentingly longing tune that Oscar's vocals, his interpretation, was so beautiful. It was a prayer like samba, a chant, and I was transported whenever I listened to it. I just couldn't get enough of hearing it. Even tried to record it on my old tape recorder so I could listen to it over and over. Yeah, well, that station was uh, WNEW 1130 in the AM realms, and the DJ was William B. Williams, or as he occasionally introduced himself, Guillermo Beguillermo. His tone was uh, more moderate and rational than that of Cousin Brucie. And the tunes he played were more in line with jazz. I love jazz. When, as a teenager, during summers, I was working in the Catskills as a busboy, one of the waiters, Lucian by name, or as we playfully dubbed him, Lucian, during our time off between serving meals, he played a recording inside our dilapidated helps quarters. Yeah. It was almost a religious experience as we gathered around the only record player under the only dimly flickering incandescent light bulb he gingerly removed a vinyl record from an artistically clad record jacket cover, placed it on the spindle, and as it spun at 33 revolutions per minute, it played the eponymous, internationally acclaimed masterpiece entitled Take Five by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Wow. I became obsessed with wanting to hear that innovative tune. And when summer work was over, I turned to William B. Williams, my evening DJ, who was now also my conduit to the euphorically seductive melody. He played Take Five repetitiously. Yeah. And again. 
Around the same time, during the ninth grade, one of my high school teachers, I believe his name was Mr. Birbiglia, a spitting image of Lenny Bruce, had described to us a different listening outlet. You guys should try listening to the stations on FM. You'll find it more intellectually interesting. At the time, we all thought that FM was, well, at best, dull. Classical music and long, boring discussions by unknown DJs, interviewing unfamiliar guests on boring topics, book discussions, and FM was really not available on many radios, which included our family car radio. But uh, my cousin George, who was two years older than me, and was also my unacknowledged life lesson mentor, suggested a station on the FM band that had eclectic qualities, ones which were unusually inventive with broadcasting styles. The station was 99.5 WBAI-FM. I didn't think much of it at first, but the topics that were discussed here seemed to be topics that were being discussed by my contemporaries. And so I started to tune in more often in order to be more acquainted with the zeitgeist, the uh, trends of the time, that included political satire. And as the uh, seriousness of the Vietnam War was soon heating up for us high school graduates, we knew that we would soon be a part of the conscription lotto that determined our draftability status, and at 18 years of age, we all received our draft cards. So listening to BAI, the DJs on this unusual FM station were the likes of Bob Fass, Steve Post, Larry Josephson, Gary Null and several others, all of them pretty much part of what is called, at the time, free-form radio, directed their messages more than less toward the counterculture community. These DJs were good, really good. They were good at developing a faithful audience one that would feel like uh, <laughs> like they were always the in-crowd. One that you, as a teenager-turned-college kid, would want to be a part of. And for me, it was a kind of secret society. Mostly because my other friends in school never heard of it. Nor were they interested in the mainstream topics that provided fodder for BAI's entertaining crew. For example, Bob Fass 
would interview the celebrity hippies and yippies of the time. He was very laid back and allowed just about any wacko statements over the air. Larry Josephson was a former disgruntled IBM employee who decided to break free of the cubically trapped cloned establishment at that company. His uh, program would usually start with the William Tell Overture, which uh, he would interrupt at the opportunistically engineered crescendo, providing a moment of silence within which he would calmly interject his one-word wisdom. Breathe. The overture would uh, complete and his show would begin. If nothing else, I would tune in only for that part. Still, it was Steve Post that I listened to the most. His baritone velvet voice would always spin a tale inspired by either his own experiences or a saved newspaper article that he would consider to be part of the theater of the absurd better known as, quote, you can't make this stuff up, unquote. I, and uh, then he would connect it to an appropriate piece of music that echoed his sentiments. That piece of accompanying music would be from any genre, uh -huh. any style, any language or any world, for that matter, at the end of which you would think, yep, I guess the world makes sense after all. That was uh, Steve Post. His, um, his biggest politically debasing obsession, however, was with the president at that time, Richard Nixon. Ironically, he actually got to meet Nixon, who knew absolutely nothing about his radio show. There's even a photo to prove this momentous occasion. Oddly enough, sometime later, after the infamous Watergate incident, Nixon resigned. Perhaps uh, it was Steve Post's last stick that broke the camel's back. He constantly played, you don't have Nixon to kick around anymore. Who's to say otherwise? And my daily fix of BAI at that time just wasn't complete without Gary Null's noonday healthy living oriented show. His knowledge of uh, nutrition was legend. And I loved his big pharma exposés. The herbal recommendations, however, were something I stayed away from. And I stuck with uh, BAI's broadcasts until the station's infighting showed up their lack of support for one another. Well, the... Management and the DJs were at odds with each other. My favorite DJs were gone. 
and some of their newer DJs of this station were intoning anti-Semitic sentiments, which was poisoning their body politic. And to me, it was stupid, insulting, and vindictively ignorant. I no longer felt part of that in crowd. Soon I drifted away from their so-called alternative radio. The term progressive wasn't in fashion as yet. And I never listened to the station again. They crossed the line. Their so-called freedom of speech and expression, coupled with the freeform radio format, was now alienating and hurting people and altering not just history, but reality. People who financially supported this format of the station would probably go along with agreeing to 2 plus 2 equals 5. Their radio frequency designation should have been reassigned to 1984 megahertz. Ironically, Steve Post's original program was entitled Room 101. The torture room, described in the novel 1984, as the one in which your worst fears were used against you. Poor, poor Steve Post. <laughs> he passed away uh, some years ago. <laughs> he must be turning in his grave. And Bob Fass, well, he also passed away just recently. But the rest of the FM band was now evolving toward a more mm, pertinent selection in their rock band-oriented music. And so in those halcyon days, Alison Steele, the Nightbird on WNEW FM, became my favorite choice of DJs. She had a mystical quality about her style that transported you to mysterious mind places as she made some perfect midnight musical selections to enhance the mood in my room, where college homework would have to wait until her show was over. Jazz music still remained my Pied Piper lure. And when I discovered Phil Schapp's jazz station during my drives to work, I would lapse into his historic exegesis of various jazz greats. I'd get lost in that. He was fantastic. His knowledge was amazingly vast about jazz. Most of the time it was about Bird or Dizzy Gillespie, Phil had what seemed to be an endless trove of anecdotes relating to jazz royalty. But you had to wait for what seemed to be an endless hour before he got to actually play the music. And quite frankly, most of the time, I have to admit, it was worth it. I did get to listen to classical music, but only because of Clayel. 
She was on the far end of the FM dial, WQXR, I believe. But her station's signal was by far one of the most clearest. And the William Tell Overture theme that I've previously associated with the Lone Ranger and Larry Josephson was now properly returned to its rightful association with the original composer, Rossini. Way back when uh, my eclectic taste for all sounds, vocal and otherwise, were made conscious to our music class by my seventh grade teacher. His name was uh, Mr. Williams, back in Brooklyn's PS210. Right around 1961 or so, he taught us how to listen to music. He taught us about overtures, refrains, the pattern of rondos within a musical work. He introduced us to the Firebird Suite by Stravinsky. It was an introductory to a, a new type of music. And what really woke me up to the rationale behind seemingly disjointed cacophonies was the absurd auditory sensations within the compositions of electronic music, like that of Edgar Varese. Even now, whenever I crank the radio dial and happen upon a radio station that plays similar creations, I immediately become entranced in the originality. One DJ on the FM spectrum played a record which I immediately found particularly meaningful and rushed out to buy a copy of it. The composer's name was Ilhan Mimaroglu, a Turkish-American composer, and his work was entitled Le Tombeau de Garpo, a surrealistic homage of sorts to Edgar Allan Poe. It was terrific. The um, evolution of my listening desires were becoming increasingly more adventurous. My latest endeavor has been the sound conversions relating to the Voyager satellite data as it passes the magnetic fields of our outer planets. It's on CD, you can get it, and it's, um, it's quite long and very meditative. Uh, my subsequent listening to disc jockeys was not as impressive. None were as creative as the ones I've noted here. These days, everybody is doing political commentary, promotional interviews, and dull banter about nothing significant. Sigh, sigh, sigh. And so, 
of the bygone days remain a sentimental memory along with the uh, coffee grinds at the bottom of my coffee cup. At the moment, I'm feeling very much like the David Bowie character at the end of the TV movie entitled The Man Who Fell to Earth, an alien hopelessly stuck in the mediocrity of existence. My only recourse is to do another podcast in the not-too-distant future with the hopes of stumbling onto a creative moment apropos to the curiosity that seems to exist within the multitude of podcast listeners. I believe Woody Allen calls it apropos of nothing. (laughs) Until then, keep sipping that dark morning brew and may your grinds be minimal. See you.